Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the show. This is Megan with the Naked Without Shame podcast. I am joined once again with Alex Ross and Caroline Anderson from The Culture Project, and we are going to continue our conversation about theology of the body. Stay tuned. Open All right, everyone, before we begin, I want to invite you to consider joining our patronage community that Morgan and I have for the podcast. If you go to nakedwithoutshameshow.com, you will see ways in which you can donate to our cause here. Also, if you want to receive more content from the Awaken Catholic Ministry, you can go to the Awaken app. The Awaken app is a community of people who enjoy the content at Awaken Catholic. There's a shop, there's prayer opportunities, ways that you can meet others in the community. And to do that, you can go to the awakenapp.io. Okay, and this is episode two of our time together with the Culture Project missionaries, Alex and Caroline. Um, Last time we got to know a little bit more about them and their stories and their faith journey that led them to becoming TOB missionaries with the Culture Project. They discussed a little bit about what the Culture Project is and what they do as missionaries. So if you didn't see the previous episode, I recommend you go to that one as well um, to to learn more about them and the Culture Project. We're going to just continue this episode today talking more about the theology of the body and how it really has informed us and also how the theology of the body has been influencing um, the people they are on mission for and how that's changed their lives. So if you want to go ahead and just begin with um, the importance of TOB in your own life and how that that formed you and informed your person. Um, Caroline, do you want to start? Sure. So last time I talked about how um, I converted to the Catholic faith, but it wasn't until years later that I discovered the theology of the body. Um, I'd had bits and pieces maybe mentioned in a Bible study here or there, but I went on a pilgrimage to Poland all girls with the Sisters of Life, and I had recently gone through a rough breakup, which I kind of mentioned last episode. And while I was there, I was thinking, you know what? This is all about JP2 and his hometown and everything. I guess I ought to figure out what the heck he wrote about. So I got Theology of the Body in One Hour by Jason Everett. It did not take an hour, but the first morning of the trip, I was wide awake at 5 a.m. because of the time difference, and I thought, might as well start this. And I got to chapter two, And I just started crying because I realized that there was so much I wish I had known sooner um, that would have helped my own relationship and even friendships, family, every relationship in my life. And so from there, I learned so much about um, the offenses of um, the offenses against the dignity of the human person that took place in Poland, both during the Nazi regime and communism and um And even JP2 had um, a solution to that through his personalistic norm. And um, I was just so impressed and knew there was something more here. And so that's really when I began my deep dive that corresponded with my own personal journey of healing. And so um, from there, I ended up meeting the Culture Project at a big conference. Um, I was planning on teaching. And um, as soon as I heard what Um, these young people were talking to kids about, 
I knew that it was something that I wish I had heard sooner. And so um, I felt like I was on the road to Emmaus. And as they were speaking, my heart was burning within me and I knew there was something there. And so it was a very easy yes once I got the offer. And um, the continued formation has helped to bring so much meaning to my own life and my own story um, so that when I do go out and share my story, I know it's from a place of redemption and of healing. And um, I think the students can see that too. And they know like, I want that too. Mm. So yeah. Yeah. Wow. It's so interesting that in John Paul II's homeland, you kind of encountered this in a, in a deep way and almost like he was like helping you to learn what he wanted you to know or, you know, wanting mm-hmm. um, wanting everybody to know through his writings of Theology of the Body. And that's really beautiful that that happened in Poland. That's Absolutely. really cool. <laughs> Do you remember anything in particular when you were reading that book mm-hmm. that stood out to you that made you think, oh my gosh, this is what I needed in my past relationships? You know, that's a great question. Um, I think for me, it was, um, there was a lasting feeling of the church's teaching on sexuality is a list of rules. Even as I came to accept the rules um, and entering the faith, I didn't get the loving and merciful aspect of why they were good. And so during my trip to Poland, I really encountered the Lord in the Eucharist in a very personal way um, where he spoke to me saying, I love you, Caroline. I always have and I always will. And I'm not going to change my mind. Um, And that's where I saw the love begin to mix in and, um, and to show that in the church's teaching on the goodness of the sacrament of marriage, we see how that becomes an icon, like a stained glass window of just a small glimpse of how he loves us. The bridegroom loves the bride of his church. And um, I think that's what changed it for me is that actually our faith isn't that these are bad or rules to follow, but these are so good that they reveal more about who God is to us. And mm. that's what really got me. That is really, that is really beautiful. Yeah. I, it reminds me of what you had mentioned last time about like needing to like prove yourself sometimes like to, to earn love, but that God is, was saying to you, like, I've made up my mind, like, I'm going to love you no matter what. You don't have to do anything or earn anything. That's really beautiful. That's awesome. Yeah. How about you, Alex? Yeah. I think I mentioned that um, my junior year when I met the Culture Project, they gave me some just practical tools. And not even, like, the missionaries themselves, literally their blogs that I was reading, gave me practical tools in order to live this life of sexual integrity and of theology of the body that I desired that saw the human person and responded accordingly. Um, One way of her chastity said is defined is the virtue of relationship. And um, I think how the theology, theology of the body informed me was I couldn't ignore the fact that I was made for a relationship because I think it's so much easier to withdraw and be made for just myself. And the Lord makes us for ourselves to like receive ourselves and the gift of that, explore that with him. But he doesn't stop there, right? He created the world and called it good. And then he created both man and woman together, saw their communion and called it very good because we image something very particular about God in the moment of communion that we can't 
do alone. And so I couldn't ignore that I was made for more than myself. And um, as an introvert, that was a little bit humbling. Mm -hmm. Um, But as someone who wanted to live an authentic life and the fullest life, that was a beautiful adventure and challenge. And it put me in a greater story, right? I think we all have a core memory of being in second grade um, and looking like just being trying to fall asleep one night and staring at the ceiling and just like wondering about mortality, about life, about our desires and our heart. Like I have talked to so many people and they all can point to a very specific moment um, (laughs) where that happened for them. And I think we do this forever. But I think I started to see those moments less as these like painful existential experiences and more as a love song as I started to know theology of the body, that the Lord's putting these desires in my heart that are calling me so much more that there has to be an infinite. Um, and so because of all this, it, it changed the way that I gave myself and I challenged myself to give myself and not in a self-martyrdom way as I had resigned to in the past um, because self-martyrdom is an oxymoron because a martyrdom is for something great and for something else, you know? Um, but in a way that allowed me to be received and as well as given. And um, one particular quote hit me the moment I read it. Um, The first time I was really encountering T.O.B. in a deeper way when I was reading the actual text itself. And that was, um, man fully encounters himself through a sincere gift of self. And it just made sense. Because a gift isn't a gift when it's sitting on a shelf. It doesn't Mm -hmm. become a gift until it's actually given to someone, right? And it doesn't become fully realized until it's received. Um, Like the picture I gave my mom for Christmas it meant so much when she hung it up because she was honoring that gift, right? And we all deserve to be received and given a certain way. And so through leaning into this self-gift that I was capable of my own life, um, by rejecting isolationism and this unhealthy individualism, I became more of an individual. I became more myself. I became more Alex. And that blew my mind because I'll be honest, I was expecting the exact opposite thing to happen. Um, But that's how I think it really informed my early college days. And um, on top of that, it informed the way that I studied. So I, my whole like college career, I mentioned, I just want to drink life, right? So I think I changed my major about seven times, Um, but it wasn't until like the end of my junior year, I was so drawn to interpersonal communication and counseling because I wanted to know how we can practically form communion in our life through this tool of communication and through this tool of therapy, right? And every single person I talked to, every single person I talked to in that realm, their problems always came back to the uh, issue of identity, of not knowing who they were and of sexuality. And I'm like, am I just getting all the people who are struggling with their sexuality? Um, I guess like, (laughs) that's cool. But as I talked to other people, I realized it was such a universal experience that this place of um, our sexual identity confuses us. Um, And so it it launched me to study uh, TOB to make that my thesis and to find out how it combines with the realities of psychology and the realities of um, therapeutic study. And it was, it changed a lot of the way I see the world um, because of that. Mm -hmm. Wow, that is so interesting. I love the self-discovery of um like that I'm I'm made for more, mm-hmm. like that I'm that I'm good. You know, as you said in your testimony, like God says like I am enough, I am good. But then also like there's another step. Mm-hmm. As you said like he created two. He created Adam and Eve for one another. So um 
that is just so, that's such a good message to hear. Like, yes, I'm good, but, but I'm made for, for more in relationship. Mm -hmm. And I find myself in that, in, Mm -hmm. in discovering how I'm treated in relationship that I am, that I'm good and that this is good for me. Um, yeah, that's, that's very, very good. I love that. And I think sometimes we can be ashamed of that desire for a relationship because we're like, am I just needy? Um, mm-hmm. Like my desire to be with people, to be fully received. But I, I've i come to rethink of that as just the itch of the gift inside of us rather than like our neediness. It's we recognize somewhere in us, some innate, very young part of us that we are a gift to be received. And that's why we desire that. And when we say gift, like that's going to bless the world. We were all created through our individual personhood to bless and if that blessing goes unbestowed or unreceived like that's an that's just so sad Mm -hmm. we're missing out Mm -hmm. you know and so um that desire in us it really is it's trying to point us to the right place and so often we can be ashamed of it like even early on um but it's so good yeah That, that is really good awesome okay so with your stories and the the ways in which God formed you in this truth of your own identity in our call to love. How then do you see you bringing this message to your students, to parents being fruitful? Mm-hmm. What what are some stories or what are some ways or messages that you present to them that that they really receive well or Yes, absolutely. I personally think my favorite Christopher West book is at the heart of the gospel because he addresses all of his critics saying, you know what? Theology of the body like might scare you and it might be newer and it harder for you to grasp, but this is precisely the source of what becomes the new evangelization and what communicates the gospel to people. Because like Alex said, every student we encounter in some way, shape or form from the age of 11, 12 to young adults, um, they have some struggle within the realm of sexuality and identity and theology of the body. And this is where they find the source of the answers that free them. Mm. And so I know I've had um, a girl who came up to me crying at the end of a human dignity presentation, not even a sexual integrity presentation, asking if she experiencing um, bisexual uh, attractions was still loved by God. And then further, if her boyfriend who felt that he was trans uh, was experiencing that, was he still loved by God too? And the solution to this experience was rooted in their identity of belovedness and of me sitting there talking to her and pointing at the cross and showing just how much she is loved by God. And how still she experiences such a great dignity that can never go away. And then walking with her further in her journey after that first foundational truth was established. Um, So that was very special. And I know we both have had um, young girls in sexual integrity presentations ask, um, if I have had sex, is that a sin? Am I going to hell? Um, Or um, recently I had a girl ask, um, is birth control unhealthy? And it was one of those like, okay, how do I say yes without like claiming to be a doctor um, and mm-hmm. saying like, yes. Um, and talking about how um, she was explaining, she was on a very high dosage of birth control and how she was really afraid of it. And um, getting to take a step back and say, you know what? I'm very sorry that you've had some reproductive health struggle 
that has led you to be on such a high dosage of birth control. And that must be very hard. And that almost brought her to tears before we even talked about Mm. what it was doing to her. And so just being seen and in her experience and in her story, and we come in with our stories, it just makes it very human. Mm. Um, And so that's what I think is one of the biggest impacts of walking with these kids is. Mm, yeah, yeah, that's that's really beautiful to to kind of call them back to their their first identity as you're saying and to before getting into the the teachings necessarily to validate them, to validate like their suffering in in the world we live in with untruths um about who they are. Yeah. To really validate them first and love them. That's really beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I know um, I've seen the power of what Caroline's described of encounter, of just being human. And we really do, we feel so inspired and blessed and um, feel the patronage of John Paul II on our mission. And I think of the way that he encountered young people um, early on in his priesthood and his um, seminary experience, even he would bring especially young couples and young people up into the mountains of Poland. And this was in the midst of the Nazi occupation. And They just talk about what love is. And those people, those young couples he worked at with, like all talk about those experiences as completely life-changing because they were real. They were human. They weren't shying away from the truth. And when we get to do that um, with kids and let them know that their questions are valid and good, um, it changes things. And when it comes to our messages, I think that's the first most important message is we're here to be honest. Second, we're here to be merciful. Like we see you, we see you before we see what you've done. And a lot of us has been there Mm -hmm. and we know that God is calling us forward. We know our belovedness. Um, but what our curriculum looks like, I guess, just to give a little idea of how that, um, generally unrolls in a classroom is normally we go about a human dignity presentation first, because that's so foundational to understand how to live is like, who are you? Um, And in that presentation, we talk about how we're created for love, um, how the human person has a particular value. We walk through the stages of development, right? Um, We talk about the ways that men and women today aren't loved according to their value, aren't loved just because of who they are instead of what they could do or how many followers they have on Instagram or what they look like, whatever it might be. So we talk about bullying, cyberbullying, sexting, pornography, gossip, human trafficking, big issues. And we do so delicately, but right. But then coming and being like, so what are we created for then? And how can we get there? And that's really where we bring everyone into this invitation of love is human. Virtue is humanizing. It's how we become what we're created for. Um, And it's from there that it gives us the springboard for the sexual integrity talk, which we give to the guys and girls separately, um, which is about what are your desires for, for love? And how do those play out in relationship? Not just dating relationships. We don't want to reduce chastity to just the virtue of dating. It's a virtue of relationship um, in authentic love and of receiving and giving the gift of ourself. Acknowledge the value of the human person every turn. I'm just defining like seven different ways now. Um, Mm -hmm. But uh, we talk about like our own story and how we've come to discover the fullness of who we are uh, through that virtue and inviting them to that with mercy. Um, And then a final presentation we often give is the social media presentation. Because you mentioned earlier, technology in this day and age has a particular way of playing out um, that can kind of interrupt the gift of self. 
that can naturally happen when you're in person. And uh, so we talk about how we can use virtue to use it to actually cultivate communion rather than steer us away from it. So that's kind of an idea of more of like what we walk through. Um, but I've seen all of those messages, like even the ones I'm surprised by resonate with different different kids. But at the same time, at the end of the day, um, they just need to know their scene. Mm-hmm. Like I can't tell you the amount of kids who me sitting down with them and talking to them for an hour, like just having an like awkward conversation over a meal um, changed their life. Because they felt dignified and seen. And no one had just looked them in the eye and treated them like a little adult before, you know, but rather like just a child. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, we're here to humanize people and invite them into that experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think many of the students that we meet are trying to reconcile something, whether that be a disunity within themselves mm-hmm. or, um, what their faith looks like with their experience, what um, the culture is telling them versus what they're hearing at church or in family. and Or on TikTok. Or on TikTok, right? Yeah. I, a lot of the parents in our parent talks, actually, um, they fear that social media is the biggest influence on their kid's life instead of what they're saying. Um, so shout out to all the parents out there. You're doing great and you actually have a great witness for your um, kids. But... Um, Something that's really cool is as missionaries, we all come in with our own different personal backgrounds. For me, I studied chemistry in college and I love science. I love how our creation can point to the fact that there is a creator. Um, And so I have an opportunity to help students reconcile that like science and God, science, theology, theology of the body can go with our biology of the body and, um, and share with them my passion for things like women's health as well. And, um, invite them to reconcile all of those things. Mm. Um, So each missionary um, is able to step in and almost read the room, read what are they struggling with in particular, what can they not reconcile, and how can we get them there? And Mm. some of my favorite moments have been during retreat settings where we've been a talk and a confirmation retreat. And many of the students have, after our talks, gone to reconciliation gone to adoration and they have been able to not only reconcile teachings or life experiences but um, their own hearts to God who they were made for Mm. and that I think has been some of the most special um, opportunities that we've had on mission that is that wow so inspiring to hear those stories of just change and I I mean it's I'm, I'm thinking though, as you're talking, is there like follow-up? Do you get to like regularly talk to these students or like, do they reach out to you after like these events? Like what, what do you, what do you encounter like after those, those events? Yeah. Oftentimes, um, our job is more of the truth bearer, mm. right? Like we're carrying the torch and we're like, let's go. Um, but Oftentimes our job is to connect them and plug them in to the resources that are already available for them. And so we do often get the opportunity to walk with them a little bit in lunch encounters, right? In all these different ways. Sometimes we'll give them our email and we'll email back and forth, you know, CCing in the proper people. And oftentimes what our conversations look like is connecting them with the school counselor, bringing them right there after a talk, um, asking them to share something and disclose something with their parents. Allow, letting the principal know what's going on so she could provide resources or he could provide resources that 
um, will speak into the different issues the students are facing. And especially when we get to give the parent talk and empower the parents to discuss at home what we're talking with their students, um, that pumps me up, right? Mm -hmm. Because it is actually a little bit heartbreaking not to be able to walk every day with these students because you fall in love with them. Um, But at the same time, you're like, it really should be their families, you know? And if we can empower their families, if we can empower the people in their lives, then we can make a lot more change over time. Um, And we're building up the domestic church in a culture that can self-sustain and regenerate, you know, further. So that's really why we hunger down in one diocese. At one point we had travel teams and it was good, but we're like, we were able to see how if we plant in one diocese, we see how the culture as a whole changes. And that's our that's our goal and our dream. Um, I also think of John Paul II, how like in Poland, he, uh, a lot of people credit the keeping of their culture to Catholicism and to the influence of John Paul II, keeping their culture in the midst of um, oppression from the Nazi regime. And underground theater continued. Like all of these things that um, underground seminary, uh, they have processions of Our Lady of Chestahova in the midst of um, everything. And these experiences kept their culture alive, um, which shows us that culture is powerful. And we've seen it in our own life for bad, but we've also seen it for good. And that's what we're here to restore is like, Mm -hmm. we want one day kids to be able to jump on TikTok in their hearts to go to heaven, you know? And that depends on every single creator. That depends on every single student, parent, you name it. But like, we believe that's possible. Yeah, even I'm reminded of um, JP2's papal visit to Poland um, in Warsaw, where he says, you are not who they say you are. Let me remind Mm -hmm. you who you are. And um, the subtlety, right, for the kind of nervousness and the tensions in Poland at that time. but. He knew that he was one speaker there for one moment for a crowd, and that still had value and he could make a difference, even if he was just planting seeds, which he did do. Um, And so I think we have to grow in trust as missionaries. We would love to have relationships like a youth group leader who can walk with them every week or every day, Um, but we don't get the gift of their daily life. So we have to trust in the power of the spirit in those planting of seeds and that it will grow. Mm, Yeah, that's beautiful that everybody, if they're doing their part, like God's providence will unfold, Mm -hmm. right? So you and the other missionaries are going to the students, to the parents, giving what you have and then as you're saying like creating a culture of life in the family for for parents to know too for the their kids to know to practice these things to make change um and everybody's kind of empowered to do their own their own role in in creating that culture of life that's really great yeah that's so fun we just had a teammate this year who encountered a girl who was suffering from some intense loneliness and her family was not able to be that resource for her. And um, what our teammate did is she exchanged emails with the girl and then she called three parishes in the area to see if they had anything like a youth group. She found out from one random um, church secretary that there was a family who had, you know, a few students over biweekly. Um, and she said, can this girl come? I know she doesn't go to the same school. And she started going and she loved it. Um, mm-hmm. and that I think is just the perfect example of what that can look like, um, where, um, Helen made a big impact on this girl's life, even though she cannot remain in this girl's life. 
So mm-hmm. it's really special. Yeah. Yeah. No matter if it's just like one moment or a walking with someone, mm-hmm. it can be equally valuable. That's so true. That's a very good point. Awesome. Well, is there anything else that you lovely ladies want to share about the culture project or about theology of the body? Um, anything in particular that you like to leave your audience with that maybe you can leave our audience with? <laughs> to start, we're hiring. Um, <laughs> so if anyone, uh, any young person, recent college graduate age, um, is interested in being a missionary, they can go to our website, thecultureproject.org and look mm-hmm. into that. Um, but I also know that, um, for myself personally, um, it is my life goal to communicate to everyone that I meet that they are the beloved of Jesus Christ. And it can start to sound a little, um, I don't know, overused at times, like you're the beloved or you're a beloved son or daughter, but there's a change that happens when you internalize it and when you know it and you believe it. And, um, if any of you are out there today and, um, maybe you've never heard it before, or, um, maybe you've heard it a thousand times and it's never meant anything to you. I hope that you can bring to prayer. What does it mean that I am the beloved? Because the Lord will meet you there and he will show you. Mm. Yeah. Thank you. Beautiful. I think I would say I'll cheat. Be not afraid. You know what what John Paul II said all the time, what God said all the time, God on earth in Jesus Christ all the time, be not afraid, be not afraid. But I would specifically say be not afraid to dream. Um, That's something I recently realized because there's so much hope in dreaming and um, hope is a virtue and uh, the Lord has good plans for your life great plans. And it's so easy to doubt in our greatness. Um, one of our taglines of the culture project is made for greatness. And for the longest time I was like, are you sure not just like goodness? Like, I don't know, like literally in my heart, I had to reconcile, like, do I believe this? Um, and it wasn't until I realized that the Lord was dreaming with me and inviting me to dream and co-create with him and giving me this life for a reason. And he wanted to see what I would do with it and how he could be a part of it and walk with me. Um, that I started to get psyched about being made for greatness and that greatness can look like so many different things, but the Lord's put an anointing and a mission on your life. That's not a question. There is no expectation. He has, and he's declared so, and he will work everything together for your good, even in the midst of suffering. Um, and I guess that's the other thing I would say is for anyone out there who is suffering, I'm sorry for your suffering because we can talk about these things and it's so like, woo, but Suffering hurts so much and it can feel, though it is unitive to the cross, it can feel so divisive in our hearts and so disintegrating and it can like propel us from other um, relationships. It can feel like that. Um, But I've learned again and again, um, I personally, one of my struggles is mental health, that joy comes in the morning and that there's always the invitation to dream on the other side. Um, so I just want to give that encouragement to anyone who's really feeling those experiences out there because they're so real and you might be going through hell. I think someone looking at me in the eye and being like, wow, that sounds like hell was one of the biggest things I needed in my mental health journey because I was like, it is because it feels like separation um, and hell is separation from God. And I just felt so separated. Um, but this isn't hell, right? Even if it feels like it. Um, so those feelings are real, but this is earth and the Lord's got you in his hands. So you're good. You're loved. <laughs> well, thank you so much. It's been a great pleasure to speak with you on our podcast. I'm, I'm sure Morgan wishes she was here with you, <laughs> to us to talk, to talk more about these things. But um, 
I know I, I benefited just from hearing your knowledge and seeing your witness of what you're doing for the culture. I'm very um, honored to be able to talk to you two today. So awesome. thank you. Thank yeah. You. Yep. All right. And thank you all for joining us and listening to our conversation. We will see you next time. God bless.